like to turn to God's Word this morning, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start reading at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me about this, please. Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray. Lord God, 2,000 years ago, by your Spirit, you inspired Luke to write down these words. And so we just ask that the same spirit who inspired Luke would now bring these words to life in our lives so that we are conformed to your image and we live in a way that pleases you. Amen. This story, just to give a bit of background, occurs in the very, very early days of the Christian religion. In fact, it's so early in the life of the Christian church, they weren't even called Christians yet. They were basically a sect within Judaism. It hadn't split away. And the believers in Jesus all lived in Jerusalem, but they were different. And because they were different, they started to be persecuted. The Jewish Taliban basically went for them. And so, the believers scattered around the area. And one of them, Philip, went first of all to Samaria, where he preached the gospel and worked miracles, and people became Christians. And then the Spirit said to him, go down to the desert road. And that's our story. And the story is very straightforward. It's... um, You heard it read to you, just to remind you what happened. Philip sees this man in his chariot. It was probably a whole train of chariots. He was a big, important official. He wouldn't be just on his own. But Philip sees this guy, and he goes up to him, and he hears him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and he says, 
Do you understand what you're reading? And he replies, nope. So Philip explained about Jesus. And very quickly, the man becomes a believer and is baptized. And then the Holy Spirit takes Philip away and he appears somewhere else. That's our story. You got the story? Yep, everybody's with me so far. We're doing well. What I want to do is to go back through this story and pick out the four main characters in the story. Okay? So we're going to go back through the story and pick out the four main characters. And if you'd like to play little games during the sermon, you can try and work out who the four main characters are. If you don't like to play games during the sermon, that's fine. So, the first character that I want to pick up on is the Ethiopian eunuch. He is a court official. It says he was the treasurer at the court of Queen Candace. He's obviously rich enough that he can make a trip up from... When the Bible says Ethiopia, the, the term that was we generally translate as Ethiopia there probably means Lower Egypt or um, Sudan. But he's travelled a long way at his own expense. He's been able to afford to do that. He's come up to Jerusalem. Important man. Lots of money. And also, he's someone who's seeking after God. And he's reading the um, book of Isaiah. I, I don't know about you, but um, when I'm on a long trip, I tend to pick up a John Grisham or something fairly mindless. But here he is on a bumpy chariot, reading a scroll, the words of Isaiah, because he wants to know more about God. He's gone all the way to Jerusalem. And something really key about this guy, quite simply, he was a black African. This is really early in the life of the Christian church, 20 or 30 years before any missionaries come to Europe. And this man, this African, has become a believer. When we first went to Ivory Coast, where Sue and I worked as Bible translators, a lot of people would say to us, we want nothing to do with that, your religion, Tubabu Boa, which means that's white person stuff. Rubbish! This guy, he came from Africa, and the gospel went to Africa before it came here. People will tell you that Christianity is a European religion. How can a religion which started in the Middle East, which is based on a book that was written by Hebrew scholars, which went to Africa before it came to Europe, ever be called a European religion? Now, sadly, we Europeans have sometimes talked as though we owned the Christian faith. We have sometimes said and acted as if to become a Christian, you have to become English or American. But Christianity is truly a world religion. And the sign of this man, an African who became a believer long before any Europeans, 
It's just a sign of the real nature of Christianity. And that plays into how World Mission happens today. Just reading last week of a fascinating story of a, a woman missionary who's working in the, in the Gulf, in the Persian Gulf. And she has a job in a personnel agency. You can't actually go into these countries and say, you know, sign on your visa, missionary. They tend not to let you into places like Saudi and other countries like that. So she works in a personnel recruitment agency. And she's been praying for ways to make contact with local women to share the gospel in that strongly Muslim part of the world. And one day, one of her local colleagues came up to her and said, you're from a Christian country. She, the colleague didn't know that this woman was trying to work as a missionary. She said, you're from a Christian country. Do you know where I can find a Bible? A Bible? What do you want a Bible for? She said, well, I just want to read more about Jesus. So, secretly, she, found, she got a Bible and she passed it on to this woman. A little while later, somebody else in the office came to her and said, I hear you can get Bibles. Can you find me a Bible? So she provided this woman with a Bible. And after a wee while, a group of women in the office came together and said, could you teach us to read the Bible? You see, we want to know more about Jesus. We want to go deeper in our faith. And this woman is gobsmacked. She's gone there as a missionary. She hasn't been able to preach in an incredibly strongly Islamic part of the world. She's not been able to share her faith. And people are coming to her and saying, can I have a Bible? And so she started to dig and find out what had happened. And what had happened is that what, the first woman who'd come to her had a Filipino maid, a Filipina maid, in her home. And that Filipina was a Christian. And she had shared the gospel with this Arabian lady who, in whose house she'd worked. And she shared the gospel with this lady's friends. And without even knowing it, without having the words to say, these women had come to faith in Christ. They didn't have Christian vocabulary, but they had trusted Christ they put their faith in him, and God had worked a change in their lives. And now they were desperately looking for a Bible and looking for people to help them so they could grow in their faith. When you read mission story books, they tend to, tend to talk about people like me, middle-aged white guys. There is at least one missionary story book that does talk about me, but that's another story. The real way the gospel is going forward in the world today is through people like this Filipina housemaid. I don't even know her name. But she's planted a church in one of the most difficult places in the world. And that's how the gospel's going forward today. Doesn't mean there's no place for people like us. But our role is very often these days supporting and helping and training the generation of missionaries that are growing up around the world. The Ethiopian eunuch is just a clear sign that Christianity 
is a faith for the whole world. It's not just a faith for Europe. Read on. The Ethiopian. He was keen. He was reading the scriptures. Reading Isaiah. But he didn't understand it. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no. Well, there are a couple of reasons why he wouldn't understand it. One, it's complicated. Anybody who's read Isaiah and thinks they've understood everything first go is fooling themselves. Isaiah is tough. But also, he was reading in Hebrew and he wasn't a native Hebrew speaker. Just imagine sitting down and trying to read Isaiah with your GCSE French. Be a bit of a struggle. And that's where this guy was. And it's why he needed Philip to explain it to him. This is why we do what we do in Wycliffe. Because people can read the scriptures in another language, but they won't understand. It doesn't cut to the heart. Nobody, nobody should have to learn a foreign language so they can hear about Jesus. Jesus, our God, is incredibly gracious. He will speak through foreign languages. But we as Christians have a responsibility to get the word to people in the language that they speak. And nobody should have to learn another language so they can hear about Jesus. That's the Ethiopian. What about Philip? Who is this chap, Philip? If you go back to Act 6, there was a dispute in the church. And basically there were two groups. There was those who were believers in Jesus, who were from Israel. And there were the Jewish believers in Jesus, who came from the Diaspora. And those two groups were arguing about who's, who was getting most looked after when the meals were distributed. And the apostles were getting dragged into these disputes. And finally they said, no, enough of this. We'll appoint a group of people who are wise and who are full of the Holy Spirit. And we'll ask them to serve food to the different widows and to deal with this issue. And Philip was one of those people. He was recognized by the church as a leader and as someone who you could get involved in helping to sort out disputes. You never have disputes at Portswood, I know that. But if you did, the people who have the wisdom to help Christians get together when they're arguing are really valuable. And Philip was one of those. And then right at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, the chapter we're in, we read... On that, great day, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then on to verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So Philip is a powerful 
and dynamic, spirit-filled preacher. He's first introduced to us as a wise man who can help sort out disputes, who can serve food at tables. But when push comes to shove, he goes down to Samaria and he preaches and he casts out demons and he heals people. You know, this is a man, massive Massive crusade. He could have filled out Wembley. People are rushing to hear him. He's a dynamic preacher and people are responding. That's Philip. That's the guy we have further down. People listened to him. People wanted to know. And there were miracles. Now, I don't know if you remember last week in John's sermon. I don't. I wasn't here. But John told me that in the passage he mentioned in the sermon last week, that Jesus had gone to Samaria and he'd been rejected. Two, three years later, God's time is there for Samaria. Philip preaches and people respond. I think there is something there for us that sometimes you just have to wait for God to be ready to work in a place. So he's preaching there in Samaria. Lots of success, lots of great things happening, all sorts of stuff going on. Some of the apostles come down and join him, and it gets even better as you read on through the chapter. And then all of a sudden, Acts chapter, Acts 8.26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Here he is, he's in Samaria, he's leading this amazing campaign, healings and exorcisms and people becoming Christians left, right and centre and the Holy Spirit says go down to the desert road. There's nobody on the desert road. He's having an amazingly successful ministry here so of course he says no, I'm staying where the success is. He didn't. Philip was obedient. He heard God's voice and he went to where God wanted him to. Even though on the surface It doesn't make much sense. Why go away from somewhere really successful to the desert? But he did. He didn't ask questions. He just got on with it. And he goes down. We've had the story. There he sees the chariot. He hears the man reading from Isaiah. And he sits down with him. And he patiently explains the story of Isaiah and what that means. I think it's fascinating to see the wisdom of Philip. In Samaria, he's preaching to crowds, casting out demons, there are shrieks, there are screams, there's miracles, there's all sorts of stuff happening. He meets this intellectual man who's running the treasury and he sits down and he patiently expounds and explains the scriptures to him. In one situation, he works one way. In another situation, he works another. He didn't have a formula, a talk that you give in every situation. If I dare say it, four spiritual laws which you can apply whoever you evangelize to. Philip didn't have a potted answer you're on the internet, you go to a Christian bookshop, you will find plenty of guides to evangelism. And they will tell you, this is the way to do it. 
if I really wanted to make money, I'd have written a book on evangelism, not on prayer. This is the way to do it, the one way. There isn't one way. In Samaria, Philip preached to crowds and worked miracles. With this intellectual African, he sat down and patiently expounded the scriptures. He adapted his methods for the situation. The only thing that is essential, and you see this down in um, 35, then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. When we are sharing our faith, we eventually, at some point, have to tell people about Jesus. There's a famous saying which is attributed to St. Francis Assisi. Preach the gospel by all means, and if necessary, use words. Now that sounds great, and it sounds very wise, but actually at some point you have to use words. As Christians, we have to do good. We have to act justly. We have to love mercy. We have to care people. But the thing that sets us apart is not that we do good to people. There are plenty of others who do good to people. The thing that sets us apart is that we do good in the name of Jesus. And if we don't tell people that we're doing good in the name of Jesus, we're just doing good. And we're no better than the Red Cross or many other organizations. As Christians, at some point, we do have to tell people about Jesus. So that's the first two people. I'm going to tell you about four. The next person in the story is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the author of all that goes on here. At the beginning of our passage, the Spirit said to Philip, go down to the desert road. Stop doing what you're doing here now. Go down there. He got Philip in place. I don't suppose it would have struck Philip that that was a good idea to do without the Holy Spirit's prompting. Though it isn't said, the Holy Spirit had the Ethiopian reading just the right passage to point him clearly to Jesus. You know, presumably he did have his John Grisham with him. Dick Francis or whatever he liked reading. But he wasn't reading a novel. He wasn't admiring the scenery. Just as Philip arrived, he was reading the book of Isaiah and a passage which talks about Jesus. The Spirit had him just prepared. And then, at the end of the story, again, Philip has just spoken to someone who is influential, who is rich, the sort of convert we all want to make. You know, it's, he, um, the ambassador from, e from Ethiopia, hugely important, massively strategic evangelism. And Philip had done that, the guy's become a Christian, and then the Holy Spirit takes him off, and he appears in Azotus. And most of us don't even know where Azotus is. The Spirit moved him away from this key position to something else. 
So the Holy Spirit is the author of all that happens. He gets Philip in place, he gets the Ethiopian prepared for him, and then he moves Philip on. Four people in the story. The Ethiopian. Philip. The Holy Spirit. And then just have a minute and look and see who you can see at the last person. And no, it's not the horse. The last person in the story are ourselves. This story isn't told in the Bible just to be something interesting. Just to give us some historical insight in the movement of the Jesus followers from being a Jewish group to being a worldwide movement. There is historical, there's theological truth in there. But this is taught. It's there so that we can grow more like God and we can get a sense of what God is saying to us. So, the question is, where do we fit in this story? The Holy Spirit is the author of what happened. And what is the Holy Spirit saying to us now? How is the Spirit guiding you as individuals? You as part of a CU group, as part of a home group in the church, you as a congregation, together, as a body of Christ. What is the Spirit saying? Where is he moving you to? Just a few thoughts. It is vitally important to continue to realise that Christianity is a world religion. The missionary movement is one of the most successful enterprises of all time. Over the last 50 years, the growth in the church has been phenomenal. And there are very few parts of the world now where there are no believers in Christ. And yet, as we've seen, there are still millions of people without the scriptures. There are still parts of the world where people don't know about Jesus, and they are the difficult parts of the world. It's amazing how many missionaries go to somewhere like Kenya. Kenya is a great place, wonderful climate, fantastic wildlife, and I'm told the beaches are incredible. It's also got a population who is more Christian than Britain. Nothing against Kenya, but they get millions, they get lots and lots of missionaries. You can't go on a flight to Nairobi from Britain without encountering a group from a church somewhere, either in Britain or the States, going on a short-term mission project. What about Kazakhstan? Not so many missionaries there. Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, some of the remote areas in the People's Republic of China. There is still plenty of mission work to be done, but most of it is in tough places. But you know what? When the Spirit said to Philip, go down to the desert, I don't suppose he was thinking, well, that's just what I want. Somewhere hot, dry, no water, no Starbucks. Forget that, I'm staying in Samaria. Is God calling you? Is God calling you as a church 
to some of these tough places. Who are your Ethiopians? Who are the people that God is putting in front of you? There are people all around you. Which of those has God prepared? Has he worked in their life? They may not be sitting there reading a scroll of Isaiah. I suspect on the bus from Portswood into the centre of Southampton, you very rarely get somebody sitting with a scroll with Isaiah. But there are people whose life circumstances are making them ask the question, how can I come to know God? And the person who's next to them, who can point them to Jesus, is you. Who are our Ethiopians? Who has God put there for us? And then one last question. Philip was in a really successful ministry in Samaria, so God moved him to the desert. Really successful there, so God moved him somewhere else. If Philip had been like most churches and had had something really successful, he would never have moved on. He'd have kept doing the same thing over and over again until nobody turned up. One of the biggest problems in Christian mission and Christian ministry is something that was successful last year. Because that stops us listening to what God is saying this year. We get in the groove, we get in the rut, and we just keep going. And I just have to ask you, if as you get a great new building, you've got changes, it's superb, what is God saying to you? It's time to stop. So that you can do the new thing. And before you say, that preacher came and told us to stop doing something. I haven't a clue what the answer to that question is, but I do believe that that is a question which comes out of this passage in which God is asking you. Because he has some key things he wants you to reach in the desert. And when you've reached those, he's going to take you to Azotus. But the only way you can move on to the new things is by saying, well, actually, this was great, but it's time to move on. How is God calling you to get involved with this world church? Who are the Ethiopians that God is calling to you to meet here? And how is God moving you on and telling you to stop doing some things? Let's pray. Lord, Philip was responsive to your spirit and I just pray for all of us in this room that we would be responsive to your spirit where my words or any of our attitudes have got in the way we just pray for your spirit to speak clearly and to guide and we pray for those who take leadership and responsibility and draw people together in the church that they would have sensitivity to know where you are calling individuals and where you are calling the groups. We praise you, Lord, for this immense privilege of being involved in your mission. Amen.